Welcome to episode 182 of the Women of the Military podcast. This week, my guest is Helen Syracuse. Helen is a World War II Navy veteran. She joined the Navy at the end of World War II in January 1945, and she left the military in August of 1952. Even though she was only in the Navy for a few months of World War II, she said that after the war ended, there was still a lot of work to be done as she took care of sailors who had been injured during the war. Just because the war was over, the injuries didn't disappear, and the number of people that they needed to take care of didn't go away right away. I really enjoyed getting to talk to her and hear her story and what it was like to serve in the Navy, the history of her experience, and we talked about the challenges that women faced while serving in the military because she had to get out of the Navy because she got a letter saying if she had children under the age of 25, then she could not serve and she was pregnant with her third child. And so it was really interesting to hear about the history and her experience in the Navy and how she loved her service. And I didn't know this at the time of the interview, but Helen recently published her book, Navy Nurse, Memoir of a World War II Veteran. So at the end of this episode, I give you a few book recommendations. This is another one that you can find more history about World War II and go a little bit deeper than we did in this interviews. And I'm really excited to get this episode out. So let's get started after a brief word from our sponsor. Women of the Military Podcast would like to thank Sabio Coding Bootcamp for sponsoring this week's episode. Sabio Coding Bootcamp is a top-ranked coding bootcamp that is 100% dedicated to helping smart and highly motivated individuals become exceptional software engineers. Visit their website at www.sabio.la to learn how you may be able to use your GI Bill of Benefits to train at Sabio. Your tuition and monthly BAH stipend may be paid during your training period. They are also 100% committed in helping you find your first job in tech. So don't forget to head over to www.sabio.la to learn more. And now let's get started with this week's interview. Welcome to the show, Helen. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you. So let's start with why did you decide to join the military? Because I was a probie in nursing school when Pearl Harbor happened. And immediately the school office put up a poster in the office that was a picture of a Navy nurse. And underneath it, it said, the Navy needs nurses. Both my brothers went right into the Navy and my father was in the Navy in World War One. And so now my, my brothers were in the Navy and I'm watching this, looking at this poster every time I go into the school office. So the day after I finished school, I got the application for my I, my officer's commission, and from from the school they had them at the school, and uh, and I put it in. And then the FBI investigated me. I went in in January. That was 45, 1945. I was going to ask, what year was it when you graduated? Pearl Harbor. When did Pearl Harbor? 1941, right? At 41, yes. And it, I was a probie in nursing school. I was my first three months. And my my classmates' brothers were all going in the Navy. And, and, and my father had been in the Navy. So when my brothers went into the Navy and I kept looking at that picture, I decided that was for me. So besides filling out an application and you said they did an FBI investigation? Yeah, they they always do that. You know, for anybody who applies for commission, they put you through the FBI to make sure you haven't done anything criminal, you know? <laughs> Go visit all the neighbors and make sure she's a good person. <laughs> 
Oh, so to get your security clearance? Yes. Okay, to get your security clearance. Yeah, I remember I did that when I, I went through my officer program. Yes. That makes a lot of sense. So how quickly after you put in the application were you in the military? Well, I I finished school in October and took my state boards. And I went in January, something like January the 5th, early in January. I went in and and I was sent to St. Albans Naval Hospital in Long Island, which was only a couple of hours away from my home. And did you go through training for the military? Well, yes, we had a a sergeant from the Marines who taught us how to march. (laughs) And and the Navy gave us classes in Navy rules and regs. And that was the extent of it. It was only about six weeks. So pretty quick. Yes, very quick. And did you, I've heard stories of like having to, you wore skirts the whole time or did they give you slacks? Uh, no, we never wore slacks. There were no slacks then in, at all. We had uniforms, white uniforms, like nurses' uniforms, and uh, no slacks. A little different than today's military. Yes. And then after that six weeks, is that when you went to New York or was the training in New York? Uh, the, uh, the six weeks were right there at St. Albans. They did that right at St. Albans. And then I stayed there for about five years, which was which is unusual. I mean, usually the Navy moved you around every couple of years. I was there about five years. And the war ended in 45, right? Yes. Yeah, and, and the, you know, the president died and then the war ended. And that was only a few months after I went in. But St. Albans was the third largest naval hospital. So it was loaded with patients. And we had about 500 nurses there at that time. We had plenty of work to do. Even though the war was ended, we, was, we had all these patients that had to be taken care of there. Because you guys were taking care of the troops after they were wounded and recovering from their wounds. Yes, and brought home, brought, brought back from, from uh, fighting to the hospital. And then depending on where they were, how fast they got out of the hospital. Yeah, I think sometimes... People think the war's over, so all the jobs disappear. But thinking of like a nurse, there's like years of work that still has to be done to help soldiers recover from their wounds, or I guess sailors, you're in the Navy. Did you work with all branches or just the Navy? I worked with just the Navy. And I, and I, uh, I spent, I was there, I was at St. Albans about five years. And, uh, and I spent about three of those years on paraplegics and quads. And that was it was a place that I was afraid to go to <laughs> because the nurses used to talk about it at meals, you know, and they would say how difficult it was and how hard the work was and how difficult some of the patients were. And I, I kept saying, I hope I don't ever go there. And so I finally ended up going there. And and I didn't find I didn't find it the patients difficult or the work too hard. <laughs> I think I worked there about Three years. I had the record for that ward. So you got reassigned to that ward and you were like, oh, no, I don't want to go there. And then you ended up enjoying it. I loved it. It was my place. It was your place. Yeah. So do you have any stories from those five years of like any interesting patients that stuck out or memories? Oh, yes. We had we had lots of interesting stories. We had one, one sad story, one of the one of the paraplegics who was the only one who ever learned to walk. 
And and he was to, he used to run up and down the ward, and he would fall, and everybody would laugh at him. He thought he was a big comedian. He went out in a boat with a friend of his, with a, a, a woman, one Saturday night, and he decided to show her how he could swim with braces on. And he climbed out of the boat, and the tide took him out into the ocean. It took them days to find his body. And when I went into the ward the next day, I said, how am I going to tell them that this happened? You know, I just didn't know what I was going to say to them. But when I walked into the ward, I knew they all knew. Nobody nobody said good morning. Nobody spoke to me. I knew they all had already heard that he got killed. So that was pretty sad. But the, the only other the only other sad things were that we were losing the quads were dying after about maybe two years because their kidneys would fail, you know. So we would we we almost always had somebody in critical condition. It was really a great place to work. Even with all the challenges, it was really a great place to work. Yes, it was. It just shows like the reality of war. It's like the. Wounded are affected by the war long after the war is over, and the military has to take care of them. Yes, exactly. And th- and thank God the military takes wonderful care of them. We had, I think, close to 100 wards at St. Albans. Everything you could think of, they were treating there. Amazing. And you said that you were there for about five years, and then... I never deployed to, to uh, any other country, but I, I, after five years, they transferred me to the Marine Courier Station, an infirmary in Cherry Point, North Carolina. And so that's where I was for the next six years. And you were still doing nursing stuff? Oh, no. Oh, no, no. I'm, I'm 98 years old. No, no, no. At, when, at Cherry Point. Oh, yes. I was, the ner- I was the nurse. We only had seven nurses there. We just had seven nurses there because it was a small infirmary and it was an air station for the Marines. So it was really, it was a very nice place to work. Yeah. And then did you get reassigned or did you get out of the military? What happened next? No, I, I, when I was there about three months, we had a, uh, we had a weird, a, a weird strain of measles come through and as, as an epidemic. And a lot of the Marines, kid, the boy Marines, not the officers, we're getting sick with it and getting rheumatic fever and pneumonia, and it was a bad measles strain. And I had had a really severe case of measles when I was a really little kid. So I said, I'm never going to get this measles. But lo and behold, one day I got the measles too. And so uh, they admitted me and I, I spent the next three months at Cherry Point in the hospital because I got rheumatic fever and got rheumatic heart disease. And then they decided they had to transfer me to Philadelphia Naval Hospital because the best heart doctor in the country was in Philadelphia. So they sent me to, to, that, to that hospital in Philadelphia, the Naval Hospital in Philadelphia. And he was my doctor from that point on. And then they kept trying to give me what they call a medical survey, you know, to go out of the service on, on a medical survey. And I kept saying no. <laughs> So, so they finally said, oh, all right, we'll send you back to limited duty and see if you can do it. So I went back to Cherry Point and worked for the next three months. And then they sent me over to Camp Lejeune for a, a, a reevaluation. And they said, okay, you can go back to work. <laughs> so I stayed, I stayed at Cherry Point then from that, from that time on. But the, while I was in Philly, two new doctors came 
to Cherry Point, and I started to date one of them, and he ended up being my husband. <laughs> so he uh, he was a flight surgeon. So I, I guess it's good that you were like, no, don't medically discharge me because then you wouldn't have met your husband. I wouldn't have met my husband. No, and we had we we had a great fifty four years. Wow. So you went back to, so you got sick and then you had to go to Philadelphia and get um, with the heart doctor and then you were able to go back to Cherry Point and then that's where you started dating your husband. Yes. And then did you get out when you got married or did you get out when you had your first child? Yes. They sent him to Korea and and we both got out the same day just by sheer chance. We, we just, we'd set a marriage date for, no, for, for November and... Uh, we both got out on the 31st of August by sheer chance the same day. Wow. So he went off to Korea and then while, while he was in the military, right? And then... And he came back a year later. So how did you guys stay connected? Because it probably wasn't through FaceTime. <laughs> no, no. We, we wrote letters back and forth all that time. And you know, he like a lot of doctors, he he was a terrible writer, you know, and almost every day, somebody would come up to my ward and say, uh, we have something here we can't read. <laughs> Do you think you could read it? So and I could. they knew I was getting mail from him, so they figured I could read his writing. <laughs> That's funny. So you guys connected, or you stay connected through letters back and forth. Do you still have any of those letters today? I, I probably do. Yeah. I save things like that sometimes. Yeah. My, my husband and I... When I was deployed, it was 2010, and so we Skyped, but letters were still like a thing that people used to communicate, and I still have my letters. And I think one of the cool things about like having letters is that you still can have them years later. A FaceTime conversation, it disappears, and you don't really know what you said. So I think that's cool history. It reminds you. Yeah. So you guys both got out of the military, you got married, and you started your life. So... Were you recognized as a veteran when you left the military? Uh, well, actually, um, they, they they tried to. I, I had still had this heart problem, and so they kept telling me I should become a disabled veteran. And so finally, I went I went to a doctor and said, "What what do you think?" And he said, "You should become a disabled veteran." So here I am at ninety eight, my heart still beating after <laughs> after all that, and. Uh, I guess I didn't need to become a disabled veteran. Well, you you got malaria and it had it could have had adverse effects. So, I mean, it probably was the right decision at the time. You don't know what the future is going to bring and No. And the way that the laws are, if you have experienced something while serving in the military, then you can file a claim. So, yes, if it's service connected. Yeah, so but I don't have to use it for anything, you know. Yeah, that's true. So what was it like to leave the military and start your life as a married couple? And I mean, you guys both left the military. So is that a big change or? Well, we both went into the reserves. We, we, both, we both went into the reserves when we got married. We got out of the Navy and went into the reserves. And, and he would go down weekends, every other weekend down and do his service. And all I had to do was take classes and stuff like that. And so... Uh, and we d we did that for a while. And when I was pregnant with number three, baby, I got a letter from the uh, Navy saying, if you have a child over the uh, under the age of twenty five, you must resign your commission. 
and I really didn't want to do it, <laughs> but I did it. What year was that that you got that letter? Oh my goodness, that was the, let's see, I got married in 52. It must have been 56, 1956. But I was in for seven years and eight months altogether. Wow. So they were like, if you, so that was that a new rule that came out? Because no, no, new, that, that was an old rule. If you got married, you couldn't stay in the Navy in those days. Even if you got engaged, you couldn't stay in the Navy. You know, wow. they had they had all those rules and regs that that they I guess in later years they let go, but uh, but you couldn't you couldn't get engaged and you couldn't get married and stay in the navy. How were you able to stay in longer? Was it because you went to the reserves and so they kind of missed you, or and then eventually they found you, or how did that all work? Well, we we stayed in I st- we stayed in the reserve. He stayed in the reserve too until he went into he was a doctor so. He, when he opened his practice out in Williamstown, he was too far from the, the, the uh, he was going down to the shore um, in Massachusetts to do his, pra- his uh, to do his weekend stuff. Reserve duty? We moved out to Williamstown and, and he, there was no place there for him to go to do it. So he, then he resigned also. And you said that you didn't want to get out of the military, but you had to. What did military service mean to you, and why didn't you want to get out? Well, I'll tell you, I, I, I don't. Well, I don't know what service it, you were in, uh, but I understand you had active, really, at active duty. And but in the Navy, which is all I can speak about, um, there is a there is a a spirit of of congeniality, let me say, in the Navy, that you sort of feel like the, it, it's an extra family. It's an, an, an adaptation of your family, even though it's not your family, you know? And and I think that's a, that's a reason why people like it so much, you know? Yep. I don't think it's changed very much. No? <laughs> because I, I was in the Air Force, and I, I know exactly what you're talking about, the family... Sir, you probably had the same thing in the Air Force. Yeah, and my husband's still serving, and he's in the Space Force now. But it is like a community of people, and we're getting closer to his 20-year retirement date. And it's kind of scary to think about like not being connected to the military anymore and to be out on our own. I know. And then you and and then then you're going. People are going to start being surprised that you're a veteran because you're a girl. Oh, yeah. They do that already. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah. Well, that's part of why the podcast is so important, because it starts to change the narrative and change the lack of knowledge around women in the military. And so that's part of why I started the podcast was because I wanted to tell these stories so that people could hear them. And, and so I could hear them because I love listening to them, too. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure I do, too. Yeah, I do, too. So is there anything else that you want to tell people about what it was like to serve in the military from the end of World War II to post-World War II that you think my listeners would be interested to hear about? Well, I don't know of anything. Once World War II ended, it, it didn't change an awful lot for us because we still had, because uh, since, nur- since we were nurses, we still had the people who had been injured who still needed care. So it was like there didn't seem to be any transition between the end of the war and our continuing service, you know? 
So th- that's probably just just a, a observatory, you know. Yeah, and has it been interesting to watch how the role of women in the military has changed over the last, I guess, over fifty years? I guess more like seventy-five years, just of how the world. The role of women in the military has changed from when you served to today. Oh yes, there were no women like like you. you there were none like you on active duty with the men. That that wasn't happening at all when I was in. That was not going on. Yeah, it's changed a lot. Yeah, it sure has. So, is there anything else from your time in the military or even after you left the military that you want to talk about before I wrap it up with one final question? I I don't think so. I I just it was a really interesting part of my life and um and I would when when I when I talk about the navy, I always I always have the feeling that if somebody asked me to go back in tomorrow, I would go. <laughs> Even though I'm 98 years old now. <laughs> You're like, I'd still do it. I love that. That'll make my last question pretty easy. What advice would you give to a young lady who's considering joining the military? I would give, it her, give her advice saying she would, she would love the, the service of helping other people. If it doesn't, not necessarily even a nurse, because there are other jobs besides nursing that are beneficial to other people in the service. And it's it's really quite a uh, satisfying feeling to be doing that. And I think I think anybody would enrich their lives by doing it. That's great advice. I really agree. I think the military has so many great opportunities, especially for women today with all career fields open to women. And there's just so much that you can do and learn from and gain from military service. Definitely, definitely. Thank you so much for your time. I'm really glad we got to do this interview. And just to highlight a story from World War II, they're not that easy to find and they're so important to share. So thank you. And and thank you, Amanda. I really enjoyed this. If you want to hear more about the history of women during World War II, I have a few book recommendations that I've read over the past few years that I think are really interesting. And the first one is The Woman Who Smashed Codes by Jason Fagon. This book is about Elizabeth Freeman and her contribution to the war in code breaking. It was really fascinating to hear of how Elizabeth had such an impact on protecting America and disabling the Nazi networks. I also really enjoyed Major General Mary Eater's book, The Girls Who Stepped Out of Line. I interviewed General Eater about her experience in the military in episode 70 of the podcast. This is before her book came out. And since then, have read her book, and it was really interesting to hear all the amazing stories that she collected, and I really just enjoyed hearing all those stories. And if you don't know the stories of the women Air Force service pilots, I highly recommend Aaron Miller's book, Final Flight, Final Fight. It not only talks about the women Air Force service pilots, but it also talks about how a bill goes through Congress and how Erin was able to advocate for her grandmother after her death to have women Air Force service pilots be able to be buried at Arlington. And so that's a fascinating book and really interesting. And I also really like Erin's children's book that just came out recently. It's called What My Grandma Did, and it's all about what her grandma did. And her grandmother, Elaine Harmon, is a wasp, and she served during World War II. And it's a great way to share with children about the history of World War II 
in a children's book. So I have links to all of those. And if you want to hear more of Erin's experience and what it was like to advocate for her grandmother, you can hear her story in episode 49. So I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I really was honored to be able to do the interview with Helen and just to get to hear her story and her fighting spirit. I love that she said if she could go back into the military today, she would. So thanks so much for listening and come back next week for another episode. for listening to this week's episode if this is your first time listening to women of the military podcast i encourage you to go back and listen to some of the other episodes on the podcast there are so many episodes and stories of women who've served in the military who can inspire you at whatever stage of the journey you're in joining serving leaving the military or just learning about the women who have served in the military If you want to support Women of the Military podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash women of the military. And if you enjoyed Women of the Military podcast, please leave a review on your favorite podcast app to help the podcast grow and reach more women who are considering military service.